But out from behind some trees, as we rounded this bend on 70, out from behind some trees was this huge, brilliant moon. It was unbelievable. It was just above the horizon. It was not quite full, um, but it was just enormous in that sky. And it was right above where all the cars were heading. It was just this beautiful uh, golden, yellow, orange look. It was, it was like we were driving there. I mean, it was like the perfect date moment. It was so romantic, you know, we were, and, and so here we are driving. It was, it was, and I just looked at that moon and I thought, God hung that thing out in space. How good is he? How good is he for in this moment, I would be able to, to look at the sky in front of me and look at the woman I love beside me and say, God is good. So we can look at creation. We know not only from scripture, because it says, but as we look at the things that God puts around us in creation to just know God is good. But in the midst of that, he looked on creation after men and women got involved and said, there's something that's not good. We, because of our desire to not do what the king of the universe desires, have gone into sin. That's just anything that's not in line with God's will, his good will, as the scripture says. And so that's sin and the scripture, uh, the scripture says as a result of that sin and rebelliousness in us and the way we act out against him. That we're going to die. That's a big problem. And so here you have God who's very good and all that he's done is creative work. And then you have humanity who's looked at that and said, now nah, we'll do our own thing. And we've gone the wrong way. That's bad. That's evil and ends in death. And so the great thing about the scripture says it continues the story. And there's always a, a, a but in there. God created it was good. Men and women got involved. That was bad. But God got involved. He decided through this whole plan that he was going to do something even more magnificent than the creation at the beginning of the world. He sent Jesus Christ, who was God become flesh, the son of God. And he walked Jewish streets and on the countryside and he interacted with people, not just the rich people and not just people that were always fun to be with. He went to the people who were lowly. He was born to poor parents. He was the type of individual who would go up to a leper and say, yeah, I'll touch you, even though nobody else will. And so Jesus, in the way he acted towards people, was good. But more than that, the story goes on to where, even though he was very good, the people who were supposed to be good, the religious community, the people, the churchy people, they looked at Jesus and say, oh, he's bad. We don't like him. And so what they ended up doing was they falsely accused him, put him on trial, and had him sentenced to death on a Roman execution machine that we call a cross. They crucified him after they had mocked him, spat on him, beat him. They did everything that you could do to abuse and cause Jesus to suffer. And they took him and they nailed him to that cross, having shoved a crown of thorns on his head. And just to make sure he was dead, took a spear and thump, shoved it up his side to pierce him. Even though he had done nothing wrong. But there's that good work. But because God is good, this was all God's plan that in the midst of Jesus dying an unjust death. That he would take your badness, your sin, your death and all my sin, he would take all of that and he would put it on Jesus so that Jesus was dying for your sin and he was dying for our bad record. And the scripture says this. 
The God who is good and created the universe, the God who looked at men and women, he created and said they're very good. The God who has been pursuing humanity for all time, put Jesus on the cross and said that if if you and I would look on Jesus and we would call upon him to save us, he would then take our sin off of us, put it on to Jesus and he died in our place. He was the substitution. And then he takes Jesus and his goodness, his righteousness He took Jesus's goodness and righteousness and he takes it to people who had betrayed him, who had sinned against him and rebelled. And he clothes you in his goodness. And so that's the story of the Bible was a good God who's dealing with a bad people trying to make them good through what Jesus, the good become bad, not by by what he had done, but, but by what you and I had done so that he could save you and bring you to a good spot. And in that goodness, what ends up happening is he changes your heart so that when God looks at it, it looks good. It looks clean. It looks wholesome. But the expectation is, is that if something has happened inside of you, if that transformation has happened inside of you, that what's going to begin to happen is it's going to flow out of you. That if your heart is righteous, then your actions are also going to be righteous. If your if your heart is now good because of Jesus and you've been clothed in Jesus, then your actions displayed among the people sitting beside you and the people in your neighborhood and people who um, generally you're not expected to like, you will love them. And so out of you comes goodness. And that's what Peter's going to get to today. Out of you needs to come goodness. The good God who saved you and brought you into goodness now expects you to be good, even when it's hard. And so he's saying this to a persecuted church. Remember, a church that's had people do very bad things to them. And this is first Peter, chapter three, verse 13. He says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? He starts out saying, Who's, who's going to harm you if you're doing what if you if you are trying and striving with your life because of what Jesus has done? Now, you've made that commitment. I'm just going to go hard and do whatever Jesus has told me to do and love other people if, and just do good. I'm going to be zealous for that. I'm just going to be fervent to do what's right. The chances of somebody wanting to harm you. Decrease dramatically, isn't that true? When you go out in your life and you go over and above trying to help people, isn't it hard for them to be bad back to you, to want to harm you? Yeah, it is. If, if you go over the top trying to be good to people, generally, statistically, they're going to be kind to you. There's just this kind of response that ends up happening. And so he says, go do that. Go be being good to people. Go over the top. Be zealous because... Chances are they're not going to harm you. But he goes on, even if you should suffer, verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it's better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will than for doing evil. So he says, 
do good. Be zealous for, for getting up out of your seats, going to somebody else in this congregation, being good towards them, and then leaving this building and wherever you go for lunch and whatever you do the rest of your day and whatever you do for the rest of your week, go about being good. And if somebody comes and does evil against you, if you should suffer, if that should be God's will that that happens in your life, then in those moments when they ask you, you know what, even though I'm coming against you and causing you to suffer, why do you still have hope? He says, actually, that you should be ready to give a defense when you're in that moment where 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 people are coming down, asking you, what is up with you? I can't rattle you. Why are you always so kind to me, even though I've been so bad to you that you could say, let me tell you about this good God who from the beginning has been good. And even though I was bad, he, he caused me to have to consider that I'm a sinner. Oh, but he loved me and wanted to save me, he says. Be ready to give that defense. Give a reason for the hope that you have that you are one who was born. And even though in this flesh, 100% statistics say that you will die. But the hope and the promise is that Jesus said, because what he did on the cross, you will live. Get ready to give an answer for that. And the scripture actually says when Jesus was talking to his disciples about the days when they would stand before kings and governors or in courtrooms and people would be asking them, why do you believe in this man? Why do you believe in his resurrection? They, they would say, because I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus found me when I was by the lake. Jesus found me when I was sitting doing my job at the tax collector table. And he drew me to himself. And I'm here to give you an answer. I'm here to give you a reason, a defense for the fact that I know there's a hope. And his name's Jesus. And he says to him in that moment that the Holy Spirit will give you words in that moment. So the being ready for that moment to give a defense. Yeah, Will will do the studying. I'm going to preach my guts out so that you know Jesus. But in those moments, you don't know when that test is coming. It's hard to have all the correct answers. And the, the assurance from Jesus is that in those moments, his Holy Spirit will guide you to give the right defense of the hope that you have. But here's the problem. Just here's the problem real quick. So last night when we were on this date, and we're driving back and I see that big moon. I was I was blown away by that moon, right? I was just like so fixated on how beautiful that was. It was just the most gorgeous thing besides my wife right in that moment. And so I'm just staring at this thing just in awe. But you know what? Like five minutes later, I realized I wasn't staring at that moon anymore. I was thinking about how, how good my hamburger was. I was thinking about what I had left to do last night. I was thinking about how bright the guy's lights were coming my way. I mean, I, I was thinking about all different kinds of things. When I, when I first was engaged by something that was so bold and beautiful, it caused me to be drawn in. And I was, I was zealous for, for just concentrating that and going that direction. But after a while, I began to drift. I began to get lazy in my attention towards that. And so no longer was I zealous for that thing. I began to wander. And the fact is, you were probably way more zealous in being a Christian and doing what Jesus told you to do at the moment you came to faith than you are as you sit in your pew today. Why? Because that's who, how humans work. The day you came to faith and Jesus said, I love you, I want to save you, I want to rescue you from an eternity of destruction. You said, sign me up. I will go down to the altar and say that prayer. I will, I will confess my sin to whoever's there praying with me. And Jesus, I just so badly want you to save me and cleanse me and make me good through Jesus Christ. And that was a good feeling. And you left in that moment and you promised Jesus, I will do whatever you want me to do. 
I will, I will teach Sunday school. I will, I will go on a mission trip. I will help with the youth group. I will, Jesus, I will do good for you. I will be kind to people in the, in, in the community. I will, I will volunteer. I will go to church every Sunday and I'll even nod my head when Jason says something. I just threw that one in. You probably didn't say that. But didn't that happen when you first came to faith? You're like, I am all in. And you were staring at that big moon saying, that is, is just unbelievable what God's done in my life. And then after a while, you're like, now I'm just driving. And we begin thinking about other things and life gets hard and things come our way. And then somebody offends us. And now I have a right to do whatever and carry my weapon or whatever you want to justify your, your way of like, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to approach life. And we begin to veer away from what God has asked us to do. And we begin living for ourselves again. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. Come back and realize how good I was to you. And now I'm asking you to go be that good and be zealous for it to other people, even if they're going to harm you. I'm not asking you to be justified in reviling them back and being evil back and doing what the world would do back. I'm asking you to do what would Jesus do back to them. We are called to a higher standard. So we've been called to, to go over and above. We've been talking about that now in First Peter. And so he says, I'm asking you to go over and, up, of, and above. And that if you should even be on trial, get ready to speak about Jesus. The defense will be for the gospel, not the defense to keep you out of prison. Now, here's the reality. On March 4th, 2018, there's not much likelihood that you're going to get arrested and put before a judge today and possibly a gun execution because of your faith in Jesus. It just doesn't happen here right now. And so we are kind of far separated maybe from what Peter's saying to a persecuted church in first century Greek-speaking area of the world. But I don't really have any doubt that that day is coming for us. In some way, in some form. For some of you, it may already be happening, maybe outside of these balls. But when you go to school on Monday morning and there is influence coming from the different textbooks and the different teachers and the different, the different authorities that are coming into the school speaking into your ear. And I'm not just talking about what's on the news. I'm talking about the way that kids are speaking through social media. You're beginning to be bombarded by persecution of people saying that Jesus guy, he's a fool. He's a figment of your imagination. What you should trust is your own feelings. It's beginning to be a sly persecution of our culture. And what Jesus is asking you to do is set yourself apart into what is truth and then go love them. And so it's coming. It's coming in a very sly way. But what we're watching and seeing is that slowly as you begin to still stand there and say, I believe in Jesus and that his word is true and that he is coming back one day. People will look at you and say, you're an idiot. You're a fool. And so we don't want you in our group. We do not want to elect you. We don't want you to speak. We don't want you to wear that shirt. We don't want you. And so it's a slow, ongoing persecution. And so we may not get a gun today, but in this in this persecution, we're kind of getting lulled to sleep. And Jesus says, no, stay firm and get ready, because what he's doing in these little things, I think, is growing us and getting us ready for what may be something bigger coming. Something bigger is coming. And if we're not standing up to it now, what's going to happen later when it's really hard? And so here we go. If that's really hard to grasp, then 
then know that Jesus went through it first. He, he encourages us here in verse 18. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Again, that's our sins. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So that began with Jesus. Again, he was righteous. He died for we who were unrighteous. And then it goes on and speaks about after he died, he went and proclaimed to the spirits who were in prison, who before, formerly, when they did not obey, during God's patience as he waited while Noah was building the boat. It took Noah a hundred years to build that boat. There was some patience there on God's part. Now, if a lot of that didn't make sense right there, that is okay. You know why? That's one of the most mis, uh, not understood passages among even Bible scholars. What does that mean? He went and preached to spirits who were imprisoned. As your pastor, I don't know. I know, I know the options. The options are he either went and was preaching to demons who are already being kept in some type of abyss and their, their, their end has been marked. We know from Scripture that's the truth. So it may have been that those were the spirits that he was going and preaching against, just saying, as it says in the book of Colossians, that he taunted them by the cross. He triumphed over them and he said, look, I won. So it may have been that he was just like proclaiming his victory, victory in Jesus. It may have been also that the people who were evil in the days of Noah, even while Noah, a man of righteousness, as the scripture says, while he was building a boat, was condemning those who were in his generation, that maybe those people who said, hey, you're the idiot. You're building a boat in the middle of nowhere. We've never seen it rain like that. Why would you be? Able, you're going to take animal. You're going to have a floating zoo. Really? That the people who denied God in that day. All the world, there was only eight people who got on that boat, that those who rejected God in that day may be the people who were now in prison. And Jesus went and said, I, I tried to tell you. Not that he was preaching in that moment to save them. They had died. Their time was done. But to say, I tried to tell you. But in the midst of that story, even though we might not know exactly who Jesus is preaching to, I'm still trying to figure that out, discern what Peter's saying in that moment. This we know, that eight people got on that boat. That God had made one way to be spared in that generation and he gave them a boat, an ark, a place of grace. And by that one boat, he saved them out of that generation, put them onto dry ground after the flood had happened. And then he gave them again the charge that he had given to Adam and Eve, go and multiply and fill the earth and take care of this place. Be my good stewards here. And so again, they came out of that boat and they began to spread. And from there, we get every, all the peoples all around the world. And what did they begin to do? Be bad. Be bad. But God said, I want you to be like the ones who got off the boat. Because they came through the water. I saved them. And by my grace, I saved them. And so that's why he goes on here. Um, and he says in verse 21, baptism. Again, that's like water, like saving through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what this is not saying is this. 
is that if we take you right now and we went back to this baptismal and we plunged you down into the water, that the action of doing that and somehow getting whatever sweat and grime and whatever you've got built up behind your ear this morning, um, that if we washed you in there and we just removed all that dirt, that you would somehow be saved. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the removal of dirt on the outside of your body. But what the scripture says is that even though your heart was wicked by the Holy Spirit, he came and he baptized your heart and he removed that heart of stone and he gave you a living heart that lived for God. He completely changed you. And just like he had the first creation that was good by what Jesus has done and that baptism of the Holy Spirit changing you into a new heart, that is even greater. It is so good what he's done inside of you. So that the same way he brought Noah and his family out of the ark and he, by grace, placed them where they needed to be, he did that in your heart too. He, he gave you that one way of salvation through the ark of Jesus and he sets you down in this good and uh, this place on the other side and says, now go and do what I ask you to do. Go do good. Amen. Jesus did good. You go do good. Not because it's the good that saves you. It's not because of this action of baptism saves you, but Jesus has saved you by the, what he's done in your heart. And so it says in verse 22 that this Jesus Christ who was resurrected, he has now gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And if you just want a brief Understanding what that means, it says Jesus trumps everything. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. He is God almighty. He sits enthroned above all cherubim and angels and powers and principalities. He is greater than Satan. He had created Satan. He's bigger than any government on this planet. He's, he is more rich than any stock exchange in the world. He's more loving and gracious than all the grandmas on earth put together. And that's a lot. He is, he is over and above everything. And so at the moment we say, how do I stand up in the midst of hardship, even though I'm trying to be good? And even though things are unjust and somebody called me a name and somebody told me I was stupid. And maybe that day will come when somebody is going to do something that's harmful against me because of my faith in Christ. He ends with this. The one who resurrected from the dead is now sitting enthroned above everything else. You can trust him. You can trust him. The good God who created the universe has created a way for you to escape and is now sitting enthroned saying, I've got you. I've got you. And so we watch his goodness around us and we just celebrate these opportunities of, of what he does in life. To live zealously for him. And I don't know how old you are. I don't know how long you've been with Christ. But what he says is that if you hear his voice today. That you would respond. And the first response whenever we hear the word is this. Lord. Is there something in me that's not in line with what you said in the scripture? And if there is, that's just sin. And he says, I just want you to repent of that sin. Turn away from it and come to Jesus. So if you recognize this morning, you know what? I haven't been zealous for the Lord. I haven't been doing what he's telling me or I've only been doing 80% of what he's told me. I've kind of been sloughing. Then you need to repent. That's actually sin. Tell the Lord you're sorry. There's no better place than to be in sync with God, to be right where he tells you. And the other thing is this, if, if you think, well, I know of Jesus. But you don't know Jesus. 
you've kind of been to church and you've heard about Jesus, you've sat in the pew, you've sang the songs, but you've never actually been like, God, I need you to save me. I need you to place me on that ark. I need you to bring me through by Jesus into a place of knowing that you've got me, that you've saved me, that you've washed me clean. Guess what? He, he's already done the hard work on the cross. And this morning he may be calling you to say, now you just say yes. You just submit and say, yes, Lord, please forgive me. Then then this is your day. Don't don't wait till tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another birthday. The only person I know that today is guaranteed a birthday is my son, Jude, because today's his ninth birthday. The rest of you, we don't know about. And so the Lord says, don't wait for tomorrow. Come and get right with Jesus today. Go be zealous for Jesus today. When somebody comes and says, you're an idiot for Jesus today, then you say, maybe so, but let me tell you about Jesus today. And we're going to go on and live as Christians the way Jesus has asked us to live. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask the, the, um, Sue and Danny to come up while I pray, and, and, and then you'll have an opportunity to be able to come down and just, and just put that prayer before the Lord if you want to. You're welcome to come up front or, or to stay in your seat wherever the Lord has you, but just put yourself before the Lord, and if, if you say, Lord, forgive me, Lord, please, please come and be the king of my life. Then watch him do that, that good work in your heart that only he can do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're good. How awful it would be to have a God who's bad, who, who would hate us, who would not want to even lift a finger for us. But you did way more than that because of your goodness. You sent your one and only son to save us. And you have now given us his righteousness. And and you have cleansed us of all of our badness. And so, Father, today we just are overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy because we deserved, because of what we've done, your wrath and your destruction and an eternity lost. But instead, you have given us eternal gain. And so as we reflect on your goodness and what that means, Lord, we pray that no matter what type of persecution comes our way, no matter what hardships come, no matter even our own doubts, Lord, we pray that you would grow our faith and, and give us that zealousness again for good. Lord, you've told us if, if we do good, we have better chances that harm won't come our way. But Lord, even if harm should come our way, Lord, we pray that you would have grown our faith to a place where we would stand up to it, where we would give a good defense of Jesus because we've come to know him day by day, seeking him in the word. And so today, Lord, would you draw us closer to Jesus? And we thank you again just for the assurance that he is lifted up on high. That everything is under his control and we can trust him. And so we give you our today and we give you our yesterday and we also give you our tomorrow. We trust you with all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and we're going to sing. And if the Lord would call you to come at any time, please, you're welcome to come and pray in the front. Grab the person next to you and pray. But the key is to go and pray. Go and talk to Jesus while we sing.